Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. We're discussing meaningful business and life topics to add motivation to your life and value to your efforts. Our show is hosted by certified professional CSG coaches who are often hired for private coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, enjoy the show. This is Solutions from the Huddle, and I am your host, Titus Bartolotta. Man, I am really excited. Um, This show is powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. And for those of you that just keep subscribing and keep clicking and keep listening, uh, it fuels us up. It just just makes me so passionate to go find more wonderful folks like we have for you today. Uh, If you're brand new to the show, uh, really what we do is we find folks that are maybe a little further along in life in success. Uh, maybe they've bumped their heads a few times along the way, and they've got some strategies and some tips, and you can learn quite a bit. So uh, you want to bring a notepad to every one of our episodes. Uh, if you are an active, uh, already subscribed listener, thanks for sharing us with all of your friends and family. Uh, here at Solutions from the Huddle, we start every show the same way, and that's in prayer. And then we'd love to introduce our guest. So Lord, we just ask that you bless our guest, our sponsors, our show, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Today, we've got uh, somebody that's pretty exciting. His, his accomplishments in his bio is longer than what I'm used to getting from folks, which means this guy has been there and he has done that. Uh, Mark Bellow is our guest today. He is an attorney. He's a social justice advocate. And he's an award-winning uh, author. And, and listen, he is a co-host of a really dynamic podcast. Mark, thanks for being on our show today. My pleasure, Titus. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you. I always ask our guests, where did it start for you? Right. And some of them are silly and they go, well, it was a dark, rainy night when I was born. Right. And then some, some of them know what I mean, which is where did you really kind of get the spark to pursue the kind of life that you have today? Take us back a little while and Tell us your journey of, of, of what brought you to the success and the accomplishments that you enjoy today and who you are. In, in less than a half an hour, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, Mark, yeah, Mark, we don't want to put him to sleep, Mark, okay? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> the, the, uh, the short answer to that question is it started with my parents. My parents were great people. They were terrific role models. And... Uh, justice, for lack of a better way to say it, was important to them. Uh, I've been an attorney now for 44 years. Uh, I'm 69 years old. I've represented people from all walks of life, uh, primarily people who were injured, cheated by corporations or insurance companies, brutalized by the cops or government officials, I've written articles in a series of legal thriller novels about some of my experiences with both the criminal and civil justice systems. That's the short version. I practiced law for a long time. So I not only, I not only talk the talk, I've walked the walk. Yeah. I, you know, I love when somebody comes in here with far more than theoretical, you know, approaches like, a lot of folks have read some some good books and they're a good orator and 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 but they haven't actually done much of what they believe they believe it and they're passionate and they probably can speak to it but the real world and real life experience to to be the foundation of their beliefs sometimes is lacking with you that's not the case 
I won't, uh, I won't say that every one of my books is based on a personal experience. Only the first one is. Okay. It's what, it's what got me into writing. Uh, but every one of my books is based on uh, events that are, that are going on in America. Uh, I write legal thrillers about social justice topics. The first one was about clergy abuse, mm. the crisis in the Catholic Church. Uh, I actually handled one of those cases. It was the case of my life. It stayed with me throughout the years. And I promised myself I'd write a book about it someday. Uh, I've also written books about bullying and gun control and school shootings. I've written a book about racism and cop uh, shootings of innocent black men. I wrote a book about the Supreme Court a nomination process and sexual harassment uh, from the uh, ripped, if you will, from the Kavanaugh hearings, but not about the Kavanaugh hearings. All of my books, by the way, are fictional accounts, not real accounts, not accurate accounts. I'm not trying to do a hit job at anybody. Uh, I did get accused, by the way, when I wrote my second book of doing a hit job on Donald Trump. Hmm. Uh, I wrote a book about a bigoted president who was anti-Muslim and a young woman was, was falsely accused of murder in the book. And the president decided to use her, her as, his, as his poster case for uh, his Muslim ban. Mm. Um, people jumped on social media and accused me of doing a hit job on Trump. My response was that I wrote the book before Trump was president. So if there's a similarity between the current president and my president, that's on him, not on me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I like that. He must have been a, a fan of the books and he, uh, he, he, he took from it. Um, I, what I love is, so at, at markmbello.com, that's, that's M-A-R-K-M-B-E-L-L-O.com, folks can go and, and they can really see the full lineup of, of what you've put pen to paper and really begin the process of enjoying one book after another. I love I love the artwork of the book. Uh, Thank the, you. The, ti the titles are absolutely uh, compelling. And so I would encourage everybody, markmbello.com, go check out uh, the, the first book and, and find out how to be a fan of all of them. What gave you really the strength to write that first one? I've written one book. I certainly don't have a series of them like you, but it took quite a bit of energy and effort and passion. Uh, and then you did that over and over and over and over again. Where where did you tap? What did you tap well, into? I'll, I'll share the experience with you. It, it's kind of interesting. I don't know how interesting it, it is to others, but it's interesting to me because I didn't fashion myself as someone who could write a book. Uh, I didn't fashion myself as someone who could write seven novels uh, at all. Uh, what? But this case, this priest abuse case, stayed with me through the years. It bugged the hell out of me. Uh, it happened in the late 70s. A priest sexually abused two boys and their mother wanted justice. Uh, it's as simple as that. All she expected was that her church would be fair. And to her surprise, the church did everything in their power to cover up the crime and deny justice to her. Mm. Uh, she came to see me. She was referred by a former client with a small little case that, uh, you know, might have been a fall in a grocery store or something. It was kind of strange. 
to get a case like this from a case like that. Mm. But uh, that was the referral source. Uh, back then, uh, I handled this case in the uh, early 80s. And back then, clergy abuse was no more than a dirty little secret. Uh, children were being abused. The cases, uh, in some cases, uh, they were covered up. The victims were paid off and there was no litigation at all. In some cases, even if they were filed, they were filed and settled with confidentiality agreements. And mm. victims were literally paid for their silence. Mm. My first action in the case was to persuade my clients to pursue the case as publicly as possible. Under no circumstances did I want the case to be quietly swept under the rug. I wanted it to be public so that it couldn't happen again, especially with this particular priest. Mm. Uh, when the case was uh, resolved rather successfully uh, at the time, there was no confidentiality agreement. And I promised myself I'd write a book one day about the experience. 30 some years later, in November of 2016, the first Zachary Blake legal thriller, Betrayal of Faith, was released. Mm. Uh, it was just a bucket list item, quite frankly. I never really contemplated uh, a second novel. Then the 2016 election came along. And it pissed me off. I said to myself, here's this presidential candidate who's saying things like they're bringing drugs and they're bringing crime and, and uh, I'm going to put a ban on a certain religion from coming into the country. And while I didn't know what he was going to do with his rhetoric, I said to myself, what would happen if a self-professed bigot became president of the United States. And I wrote a book about a presidential candidate uh, who emerged as the leading uh, party candidate for the office. What would it look like if an anti-Muslim, anti-Latino, anti-immigrant bigot became president? Mm. Uh, Betrayal of Justice was born, my second book. Um, once I wrote the second book about what I would call a fictional topic, something that I didn't experience directly like I did Betrayal of Faith, I realized that I could write a series of novels. I, I didn't really contemplate a series, but I could write novels about current events. And that's what I've done ever since. Uh, I don't fashion myself smart enough to come up with a unique idea on my own. I take, <laughs> I take um, issues from the headlines and turn them into novels. I think that's so compelling and, and creative, to be quite honest with you. How do you, um, I want to talk a little bit more about the, um, the betrayal of faith. You know, I am a person of faith and, and I, I've, I've never been a, um, a, a Catholic um, but I know that the, the massive, disgusting, horrific things that transpired um, over and over for, for more days and months and years than we probably will ever know, 
um, has really shaken the bedrock of the, uh, of the belief in God or the faith of humanity. And many folks uh, have a challenge compartmentalizing uh, an entire religion organization and, and perhaps perhaps thousands or millions of folks that operated within that organization and that belief system with, with, with a sense of purity and righteousness uh, versus massive corruption and devastation. Um, I don't know how to always pick that apart and how to communicate um, those, those points of, uh, of reality. How do you speak to that after writing a book that speaks to such a uh, such an important topic, and, and obviously your real-world experience of having litigated or, or gone through the legal process as a lawyer through that. Well, I'll, t I'll answer that in two different ways. The first answer, because you raised the issue of religion, I don't look at this necessarily as a religious issue. I look at it as, an, as a, a corruption, uh, corporate-type issue. Mm. A, a religious institution, if you think about it, especially a large one like the, quote, Catholic Church, unquote, or the Vatican, uh, is not, the religion is, is, is not necessarily the major issue. The, the issue in this situation is what I call corruption. Mm. You're looking at, a, you're looking at, and I, and I, the problem I have, uh, again, with that whole with that whole hit job uh, contention, is they make the person who exposes bad conduct the bad guy mm. instead of the perpetrators of the bad conduct. That's good. Yeah. The way I look at the way I look at this is, it could have been any religious institution. It happened to be the Catholic religious institution. That's not Catholic's fault. That's the hierarchy's fault. Mm. Why do they cover things up? Why do they pay victims off? Why do they keep churches, uh, uh, priests rather, involved, involved and employed and transfer them from place to place? They pay off a victim, then they transfer the priest. Why? Mm. So, we can, so we can molest the next kid? I, I don't understand that. That's yeah. not a religious problem. That's a organizational problem. Yeah, so that's I don't, a, that... blame I don't blame religion. I blame the organization. Yeah, I, what a smart way to unpack that. I think you're right. I mean, that's a that's a critical thinking leadership choice problem uh, of an organization. I think that you know, I I and I agree with you. It it makes no sense. I have not that I agree with it, but I have come to. Uh, to to logically uh, say, you know, I guess I could make an argument, not, not that it would be mine to make, but for why you would not want everyone on the planet to know something horrific happened in your organization. That, that's every business I've ever heard of doesn't want the whole world to know that there was some raw chicken at one of their restaurants. I, 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 don't, I, mean, can, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I, I want to push back a little bit on what you're saying, because I agree yeah, with please. you. Yeah, yeah. What please you're, do. What you're saying, what you're saying is, they hate it because it was embarrassing. And yeah, and I agree with, and I agree with you. The problem is, if you hide it because it's embarrassing, mm. don't let it happen again. 
That's and March. Instead, That's and instead what they did is they hit it, moved him, and yes. let him do it again. Yes. And they did That's... it over and 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 over again. That, and that that's is the problem. Solve that's, the problem, and then I wouldn't have so so I wouldn't have such a problem with yeah. the with the cover up, for lack of a better way to say it. That's what if it they is. had solved the problem. Sure, but they I, perpetuated and, the problem. Yeah, and and that's kind of what. I, and you're, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. That's where I'm going. I can make somewhat of a rational, understanding argument of why an organization of any institution would say. Let's solve this internally. We don't want all the customers to know. We don't want everyone to start hating God and hating church. But why would you empower the, why would, why would that human get to continue in his or her role and get to just go do it somewhere else? If you truly wanted to eradicate, stomp out, get rid of, you were embarrassed and it was wrong. Why do they get to keep doing their role and you just put them somewhere else? That's the part I've never been able to come to any rational, logical understanding of. You uh, you told me before we got on, on the air that uh, this was audio only, so the audience can't <laughs> see me nodding, nodding my head as, you, as, <laughs> as you're talking. But you're you know you're absolutely right. Again, I, I just think that the that the tragedy of all of this is that if you're if you're provided notice that an incident happened then get rid of this guy, keep him away from children, whoever he is. And there's multiple, multiple players in this. I took to the depositions in this case of a very high ranking Vatican archdiocese uh, officials who appear on television and are very prominent, very revered people. And they lied to me in depositions. It, it's just extremely disappointing that you would make these kinds of decisions uh, to the detriment of not only your own parishioners, but the public at large. Yeah. If, you ran, if you ran a corporation that way, Titus, you'd be out of business, right? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, yeah. That's and, and, that's, and I think that, I mean, you know, again, I am a man of faith. Uh, I, I you know, anyone who knows the show or knows my coaching company or anything I do, love God, love Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't fathom I, my allegiance and my loyalty is not to any particular institution or brick and mortar or, or, or traditional thing. Um, and, and, for fo- and for folks that completely disagree and say, um, yeah, I'm just spirituality and religion and God and faith and belief systems are not my thing. I go, okay. And I still open the door for him and say, I love you. I respect you. I appreciate Like, I mean, I just, this harmony of just going to life with love right. and equality is, is, is the joy of living. Um, so I always get frustrated when people get bogged down in the minutia of what is nothing more than hate and ignorance, but I never, I've never been able to come to an understanding of if you really care about your institution, why would you allow, let's take a, let's take a college. Why would you allow a professor to continue being a professor for your institution and to move them to a different department if you knew that it was hurting the students, hurting the brand, and could crumble the trust and belief of the marketplace for your institution? Well, compare, I don't understand it. <laughs> compare it to Larry Nasser, 
compare it to Robert Anderson. Why did the University of Michigan cover up Robert Anderson's crimes? Why did the why did Michigan State University cover up Larry Nassar's crimes? Yeah. To your point, they did it because they thought, I guess, they could correct the problem internally, like you said. But they didn't, very much like uh, the church didn't. I, I want to draw an analogy for you that it might not Please. seem like a uh, to the average person a good analogy, but look at Derek Chauvin and George Floyd. Cops for years, the blue wall and the police hierarchy have essentially assented to bad conduct by cops uh, for a long, long time. Uh, people of color have been abused uh, year after year. Rodney King was, uh, was what, 30 something years ago? Yeah. And before Rodney, it was accepted practice. If you look at the civil rights movement and watch people getting beaten with, uh, with billy clubs and kicked and, and dogs jumping on them and so on and so forth, this has been happening for years. Uh, yeah. I get a lot of pushback from white people, frankly, about my stance about stuff like this. I wrote a book called Betrayal in Black, my fourth book, which uh, talks about a a police shooting of an innocent black man who the cop stops in a traffic stop claiming that he looks like a teenage Burger King robber. The guy is 40 years old. He's in the car with his wife. Two small children are in the, are in the back. The cop realizes right away that he's not the guy Yet he persists in this traffic stop and harassing this guy until uh, uh, an argument breaks out and the cop ends up shooting the guy. Mm. I wrote the book. I published the book in 2019. Uh, and shortly thereafter, as you know, George Floyd gets killed. So I go on Facebook and I post the following question. How many innocent black men must die at the hands of those who swear to protect and serve until we stop the madness? Simple question, right? Sure. What do you think the response I got was, positive or negative? Well, I can, t I mean, you know, my best reference point in life, in life is myself. And I can tell you, it was, I stopped counting after about 1,100 comments about how horrible I was for proposing a similar question. I can't imagine you. Uh, got much of a different response, Mark. Tell us exactly what happened then. Well, the res the response. I'll give. You, I'll read one to you. I, I got a. I got a ton, but I'm going to read one. Sure. How many whites have to die? Everyone is concerned about blacks. Have you forgotten that he tried to pass a counterfeit twenty dollar bill? That's why he was stopped. Now, that's interesting. I, I, that's true. That's why he was stopped. But that's also why he was killed. Now, last I checked, mm. you're not a lawyer, right? No, no. Nope. I, I am. Passing a $20 counterfeit bill is not a death penalty offense, Titus. Yeah. Not only that, but the cop doesn't get to be the cop, the prosecutor, the judge, and the jury, and the executioner. He doesn't get to be all those things. 
That's he right. just gets to arrest the guy. That's right. So my question to your listeners and to everybody else is, when did we stop start holding cops to a lower standard in this country than we hold criminals? Yeah. And I've never, I've not received a good answer to that question. Yeah. You know, I, I Mark, I have found that, um, you know, and I always preface this and, and you, you can say it if you want to or not say it. it I don't, it doesn't matter to me, but I always say um, that the overwhelming majority of police officers are, are likely well-trained, uh, caring, good decision-making humans that likely have not done things to eradicate our trust in the justice system. And the same is true with priests. Yes, yes. I'm not, but... I'm not- yeah, but I would, just, yeah. I would be just as bad as them if I said all this or all that. Exactly. But but I think that it's silly when that true statement that most are good and righteous somehow makes it impossible to then question the areas where cleaning is necessary. Right. I've never looked at my floors at home and said, well, the majority of the floor is clean, so, so we won't clean the floors <laughs> I can't imagine that argument working at a dentist saying, you know, you've flossed most of your teeth, the hell with the few that have cavities. <clears throat> I can't imagine. I'm going to leave the Northeast corner dirty. That's right. That's right. I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine the logic or, or, or even, <laughs> even the compassion uh, found in that, but I can I tell that. you, may, may I use, may I please, use that the picture? I, lo- I love that. Please, please. I, I just, <laughs> you know, I, I think we do an ends a disservice to police officers by not helping them get rid of this problem. Uh, th- there is probably this enormous stress and pressure to be the one right. Or, or among the minority that says, uh, Carl or Janet, is a problem, you know? And so I think the folks that maybe are lacking some boldness, you know, for fear of losing their job or losing whatever, the truth is they, re- they don't realize they're probably losing themselves every day. They don't speak their truth, but for us to help those, the, the, the vast majority of good cops keep their good name or reestablish a good name uh, would, be, would be us not serving them properly. And so I think that when we call out uh, wrong, um, we, as the folks calling out, we're also not the executioners and the judges, but, but what a disservice for us to keep our mouths shut as people who love and care about society. Well, you, and you're making my point for me. You ask me, you know, what floats my boat. Yeah. Uh, through, through my writing and through my advocacy, I basically seek to increase public awareness of our constitutional rights and how to fight back legally and ethically, not, you know, not disrespectfully. Sure. When those civil and criminal rights are challenged and, and the two examples that we just talked about are ultimate examples of that. My other novels uh, tell similar stories. The, the second one relates to anti-Muslim bias and a bigoted president. Uh, Betrayal High, my fifth novel, 
is the school shooting and the gun industry and greed in the uh, higher levels of the gun industry. And my sixth novel, Supreme Betrayal, is about truth to power and sexual harassment. Uh, so each of, each of them are situations where, let's call it the, uh, the less powerful are victimized by the more powerful. That yeah. seems to be the theme of most of my novels. We're talking with Mark Bellow right here on Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. And, and Mark, I have a few more questions for you on the other side of this. But I want to real quick, we always say thank you to our sponsors, our, our partners. Um, if you want to learn about some really awesome organizations to do business with, uh, we don't partner with just anybody. But if you'll go to team-csg.com, that's team-csg.com, you'll find out that there are some really great companies uh, Novant Health, Carolina Auto, Warehouse, Shepherd Law, Grease Monkey, Easy Living Technologies, lots of really wonderful companies that believe in bringing experts like Mark on a program and talking about how to advance the human experience professionally and personally. So go to team-csg.com and learn about those great organizations that stand with us. Mark, we have just a few more minutes here, and, and I, I always love to highlight our guests and make sure that folks know uh, how to do business with them, how to support them. So again, Mark, M-A-R-K-M-B-E-L-L-O.com. That's where you can go and see all the books. But I want to also make sure, Mark, that our listeners walk away, not just empowered and, and inspired, um, but walk away educated. And if I were to ask you the question I've asked all the folks that we've had on our programs, um, what are one or two really awesome, wonderful, shining moments in your life where, where success and significance was captured and, and how. And then the second question, I, instead of waiting to ask it after you've answered it, sometimes people have a little harder time coming up with this one, but where have you stumbled and fell and through the pain and the scrapes and the bruises had great lessons learned? One of my greatest mentors, Mark, in life is John C. Maxwell. Uh, and as an author, you probably appreciate, he's written over a hundred books. That's pretty darn impressive. Um, but there's one book that's titled, um, Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn. <laughs> you're, not, you're not a loser when you, when you don't win. Um, and so I'd love to know about some of your wins and maybe some of the, uh, the oops, but I learned moments. Could you share that with our listeners so they can gain some success and, and significance from it? I'm focused on the second part of your question and I forgot the first. What was the, what was the first part? <laughs> the first part is the wins, right? A couple successful okay, moments okay. and how you, how you came to that achievement. But then also the second part is I got a little scraped up a few times and here's what I learned from it. Well, I had a successful practice and, and uh, the, the case that betrayal of faith is based upon was a success and taking on an institution like the church Having them behave the way they did, conspiratorially, hide things, lie, and being as powerful as they were and spending enormous amounts of money to cover up their crimes, for lack of a better way to say it, and still taking them on as a young uh, soul practitioner and beating them was very satisfying. So to, to answer that question, that was the success of my life. My practice in general was successful. I took on governments. I took on the police. I took on corporations uh, on 
behalf of individual citizens and held them accountable. That's what lawyers like me do. I'm not alone in that. There are many, many, many far better lawyers than I was uh, doing that then and doing it now. Uh, we are the watchdogs uh, of our citizens these days. We protect their safety. We protect them from things that uh, Goliath would otherwise do to David. Mm. So that's the success of my life. As to failures, I, I'm, everybody's failed in life. I, I, I've had a couple of business failures. Uh, my books are not wildly successful. I would love everybody uh, to find my books, buy them, and I'd like to you know, go live on a beach somewhere. It hasn't been that way. This has been a, a huge struggle for me. I'm almost 70 years old. It's like starting over again, uh, trying to get the word out about these, what I consider to be very important novels. Uh, people's rights are being abused behind their backs, and, they don't, and they, they're not aware of it. Mm. Until you see a Derek Chauvin sitting on George Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes, you don't know how many Derek Chauvins there are out there doing that to people. There are hundreds, there are thousands. Uh, so I would like people to find my books. Uh, I don't know, necessarily say that's a quote failure, unquote, but I'm certainly not uh, successfully getting the word out. Uh, back to your question though uh, about failure, uh, I have a successful marriage. I've been married a long time. I have four beautiful children. I have uh, eight and a, and a ninth on the way beautiful grandchildren. I've had a very I've had a very nice personal life. But I, yeah, I've suffered business failures. I've suffered financial uh, turnarounds. I've suffered through times uh, where I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. So. My advice to people is persevere. Uh, hmm. Do what you do. Do the best you can. Don't give up. I don't like when people say that sometimes because sometimes giving up is necessary. I don't know how you feel about that, but sometimes your activity, sometimes people take a, uh, so-and-so told me to never give up. Hmm. So, I will never give up. Well, sometimes the pursuit of your dream is frivolous. You've got to know when to quit. I'm not encouraging uh, don't give up, but I'm encouraging know when to. Uh, so if that, if, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think you, you mentioned in that, you said, I'm not sure what you think, Titus, but um, you know, I oftentimes tell people, I think we all need motivation. I think accountability and motivation are the two things that generally a lack of whatever enough is for an individual, which is different for everyone. When you don't have enough accountability and enough motivation, you generally come shy of whatever the maximizing of one's potential could be. However, however, that being said, to answer your, you know, Titus, I don't know what you think. I think if you're going in the wrong direction, 
I don't think you need motivation to go faster or further, right? You also have to know when is is enough. (laughs) Yes, yeah. I think that when you're going in the wrong direction, if you said, I'm going to run for two miles, that's my goal. And if you realize that a mile and a half down the road, there's the cliff stops, you ought to not be uh, motivated to continue that two mile journey, right? I mean, somebody ought to encourage you to pause. And, And you know what I think, Mark, I'd love to know your input on this as we close out. You know, when you were talking about some of the police and some of the corporate abuses and church abuses, and, and we're trying to rationalize the why, why? You know what I, I think, and I really want you to put a period on this interview by giving me your thoughts. I wonder how much of it is ignorance, bigotry, racism, and how much of it is the inability for people to just walk it back to recognize I'm wrong and to be bigger than their own ego and pride to say, I was wrong on that. How many times do people recognize in the middle of their arguing and debating, I'm wrong, but then they keep arguing their damn point, even though internally, quietly, they've recognized and realized I'm actually wrong on this, but I just am gonna keep arguing and fighting it. I, I, I think there's no, maybe there's few greater human condition problems than the fact that we can't just walk it damn back when we recognize we're wrong. What do you think? Well, I would put that a different way. I would, I, I don't necessarily think the argument has to be, has to have a right person and a wrong person. I think it's okay. a matter of perspective. Uh, you can both be right. And your life experiences are such that you're both right. What you need to be able to do, in my opinion, is walk in the other person's shoes. There's a big argument going on right now uh, on Facebook. I wrote a I wrote a an article for uh, a blog that I write for about uh, critical race theory, and there's a big argument going on on my Facebook page about what's true and I got accused of writing the article without knowing what the curriculum is for critical race theory and I will confess to your listeners right this second that I don't know what the curriculum for critical race theory is what I was advocating in my Facebook post was teach the truth I wasn't saying that critical race theory necessarily is the truth. I was saying that what I learned in school was not the truth. Mm. Clearly, everybody knows that what we learned in, in grade school when we were kids at my age was not a true accounting of history. So my, my response was, tell the truth. If you're, if you're, a, if you're a child in Nazi Germany, in the 1920s and 30s, was what you learned in school true? Mm. It was That's good. the history that you were taught. That's good. So, uh, you know, it's not acceptable to me to not ask questions. I wrote a novella uh, that we haven't discussed called Lador Vador from Generation to Generation. Uh, I'm a Jewish person. Uh, I, don't, I don't have direct descendants who were in the who were victims of the Holocaust? But I have 
uh, remote cousins and, and uncles and aunts who were victims of the Holocaust. And I wrote a novel about uh, uh, Zachary Blake, the protagonist of my legal thrillers, about his bar mitzvah. Mm -hmm. And he gets bar mitzvah and his grandfather promises to tell him the story of his escape from Auschwitz. Um, I researched some of the rhetoric that went on during those times for that novella. And I was astounded to hear some of the history lessons that German children were being taught in the 1920s and 30s. So all I was lobbying for and all I am lobbying for, and all I would suggest to your listeners is, can we please just have the truth? That would be a, that would be a refreshing uh, thing to have happen in America. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, um, you know, as a, as a, as a person of faith, I, I, there's all these different verses that flow through my head and biblical points of, of belief, but the truth sets you free is a real hard one to argue against. We don't need all this fake news. This we, we, <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I wish that we disagreed so that it could be more compelling podcast, but boy, has this been insightful and wonderful. Uh, Mark, I am so grateful uh, and so thankful to you. Uh, again, I encourage our listeners, go check out markmbello.com and, uh, and help them get the word out about these books. I think his mind, his heart is in the right place. Um, and, I, and I think that uh, you can be the arbiter of that. You can read the book and, and, uh, and choose to, to not tell anyone or choose to tell the world, but I hope that you'll at least consider opening the book and giving it a shot. Mark, thanks for being on our show. I appreciate you being here. Thank, thank you. A, a couple more shameless pitches, if I may. Go for it. Go for it. I've, I've written a series of children's uh, social justice and safety books that will be out. Uh, not sure. I'm not sure when. Probably next year. I've also written a Jewish family cookbook, Zachary Blake's uh, um, family cookbook uh, that will be out probably the end of this year. And my seventh novel, uh, Betrayal uh, at the Border, about the immigration crisis, which we haven't discussed, yeah. uh, will be out uh, probably the end of this year as well. So those are my shameless pitches. And my podcast is Justice Counts. It's brand new. We just taped the first three episodes, and I'm having a lot of fun. I love it. Well, will you promise me, Mark, that you'll come back, be on our show again? Anytime. I'm like a kid in a candy store here, man. This is fun. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Mark, thanks so much. We appreciate you being here. All right. Thank you. Hey guys, Titus Bartolotta here with Collaborative Solutions Group. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Solutions from the Huddle. If you want to hear more episodes and continue supporting our show, simply search for and subscribe to Solutions from the Huddle on any major podcast platform. Thank you again, and we hope you'll join us soon.